Good evening, my friends. I hope it is midnight wherever you are. Let's imagine that it's the witching hour. Why don't you turn out all the lights? Yes, even that one. That's better. My name is Josh Hitchens, and I am your host tonight. Welcome to Going Dark Theater. And this midnight I will tell you the tale of the Plague Island. Death, as William Shakespeare put it, is the undiscovered country. Most human beings, if they are being honest, are afraid to die, fearful of what may come after you take your final breath. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why tales of ghosts have been told ever since we learned to talk around the campfire. If ghosts are real, then the soul must live on in some way after we die. We listen to these haunting stories and are sometimes deeply frightened and perhaps also comforted. Some places are so tainted by death that they are shunned by other human beings in some cases for centuries because of the horrors that happened there. Places where the air itself is infected by the scent of human decay, where once grand buildings are left to rot where they stand, and the soil is fertilized by generations of human remains. There is an island off the coast of Venice, Italy, that is such a place. A place where the dead are not quiet. A place where any living person is still legally forbidden to go. Those who have defied the law to explore it have sometimes been confronted with terror, it has been called the Island of No Return, the Island of Madness, and a cesspool of dread. Its real name is Povelia. The 18-acre island of Povelia is first mentioned as being inhabited by human beings in the year 421, when citizens of Padua fled from barbarian invaders and found sanctuary on the small island in the Venetian lagoon. By the 9th century, Povelia had become heavily populated 
A magnificent church named San Vitale was constructed on Povelia sometime in the 12th century, and its bell tower was, and is, tall enough to be seen from the coast of Venice. However, everyone who lived on the island of Povelia was ordered to leave it by the Italian government in 1379. Italy was being invaded by fleets of ships from Genoa, and Povelia was turned into a military stronghold. After the wars ended, Povelia stood empty and abandoned for over two hundred years. In 1527, the Italian government offered to give the island to an order of monks to use as a place of sanctuary and holy meditation. The monks refused to set foot on the island. The government then offered the descendants of the original population of Povelia the chance to rebuild their community on the soil their ancestors had occupied two centuries earlier. They also refused. In 1645, the Venetian government built five octagonal forts on various islands in the lagoon to protect the city of Venice from invaders. The octagon on Pavalia is one of four that still survives in the 20th century. For whatever reason, no one wanted to live on the island. Perhaps those who refused had a premonition for the darkest chapter in Povelia's history was yet to come. In 1776, the island of Povelia came under the jurisdiction of the Magistrato alla Sanita, the public health office. It became the checkpoint for any ship coming into Venice. In 1793, two ships who were on their way to Venice were discovered to contain passengers infected with the bubonic plague, otherwise known as the Black Death. At that moment, Povelia finally found its purpose. The island was transformed into a lazaretto, a place of quarantine for the ill. In fact, the Italian words for 40 days, quaranta giorni, is where the modern term quarantine comes from. The Venetians had great reason to fear the Black Death, the plague's scientific name, is Yesenia pestis, and it is carried by fleas. Modern x-rays of fleas carrying the contagion show the bacterium is visible as a large black mass within the flea's abdomen. In 
These plague-infected fleas used rats as hosts, and with travel and commerce by sea becoming prevalent, the plague spread. It could be transmitted to humans by a bite from an infected flea or rat, or from coming into contact with the bodily fluids of another host, including saliva from a human cough. One of the worst outbreaks of the Black Death occurred in the 14th century, where it killed about 50% of Europe's population, approximately 100 million people. It took 200 years for the world's population to recover to its previous number. Italian writer Giovanni Boccaccio described the symptoms of the Black Death. In men and women alike, it first betrayed itself by the emergence of certain tumors in the groin or armpits, some of which grew as large as a common apple, others as an egg. From the two said parts of the body, this deadly gavocicchio, the Italian word for the swelling of the lymph nodes called buboes, from which bubonic plague gets its name, soon began to propagate and spread itself in all directions indifferently, after which the form of the malady began to change, black spots or livid making their appearance in many cases on the arm or the thigh or elsewhere, now few and large, now minute and numerous. As the Gavocicchio had been, and still was an infallible token of approaching death. Such also were these spots on whomsoever they showed themselves. These symptoms were followed by high fever and then the vomiting of blood. Most victims of the Black Death died two to seven days after they became infected. Giovanni Boccaccio also described the horror of a plague victim's final hours. The condition of the people was pitiable to behold. They sickened by the thousands daily and died unattended and without help. Many died in the open street, others dying in their houses, made it known by the stench of their rotting bodies. Consecrated churchyards did not suffice for the burial of the vast multitude of bodies, which were heaped by the hundreds in vast trenches like goods in a ship's hold and covered with little earth. So yes, the people of Italy had great reason to be afraid in 1793.
Brent Swanser writes in his 2015 article on Povelia for the website Mysterious Universe, As the plague grew worse and the death toll mounted, these quarantine stations went from slightly unpleasant holding facilities to more like hell on earth. As the plague reached a furious pitch, those who exhibited even the slightest symptoms were banished to the island to live out their remaining days in agony, and the quarantine stations became dumping grounds for the thousands of rotting bodies that were left in the wake of the disease, which were thrown into hastily dug grave pits and buried or burned. During the worst outbreak of Black Death, between 1629 and 1631, an estimated 80,000 people perished in just seven months, and the Venetian lazarettos earned a reputation for being putrid pits of decomposing diseased corpses and the sickly walking dead. As the panicked government desperately tried to staunch the spread of the disease, many people were dragged unwillingly away from their homes and families to be brought kicking and screaming to Povelia to die, or even to be hastily thrown into the many stacks of bodies that were being incinerated while they were still alive. The victims would live in squalid conditions, often in great pain and anguish, with the threat of being burned alive hanging over their heads and very little in the way of treatment from the somber doctors that patrolled the island, wearing creepy, long-nosed masks packed with herbal concoctions in, a, in an attempt to prevent contracting the illness themselves. Italy would eventually lose around one-third of its population to the plague, and many of the victims found their final resting places in the scorched, blood-soaked earth of Povelia and other islands like it. The plague doctors described by Brent Swanser were public servants who provided a terrifying visualization of the horrors of the Black Death. The beak-like mask worn by them was designed in 1630 by Charles de Lorme, the chief physician to France's King Louis XIII. The plague doctor uniform consisted of a light waxed fabric overcoat, a mask with glass eye openings, and a beak-shaped nose, typically stuffed with herbs, flowers, and spices such as juniper berry, roses, mint, camphor, cloves, laudanum, and myrrh. Because the true transmission method of the Black Death was not well known, it was thought these scents would protect them from the airs, the miasma 
of infection. Plague doctors would also commonly carry a cane to examine and direct patients without the need to make direct contact with the patient. They often practiced bloodletting as a cure, as well as placing frogs, wasps, and leeches directly onto the monstrously swelled buboes to try and rebalance the humors, quote-unquote, of the body. Patients usually died anyway. It is estimated that 160,000 people died on Povelia during the time of plague, some of whom were burned alive with other deceased human beings surrounding them. The mass graves on the island are mostly unmarked. Human bones from long ago wash up on the shores of Povelia to this day, and that is one of the reasons why fishermen are afraid to cast their nets on the island. It is estimated that at least half of Povelia's soil content is actually made up of human ash. Ring around the rosy pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. As if the hundreds of thousands of plague victims burned and buried on Povelia were not enough, there is further horror to come in the history of this small island. Povelia ceased to be a quarantine site in 1814 by the order of the current king of Italy, Napoleon Bonaparte. Brent Swanser writes, By the 1900s, a dark history of death and decay already saturated the land there, but Povelia had not yet seen the end of its morbid destiny. In 1922, existing buildings on the island were renovated and turned into an asylum for the mentally ill. Not long after, the patients here started complaining of seeing ghosts and hearing disembodied wailing voices, but at the time, these claims were treated as merely the ranting of deranged, insane minds. Povelia's history as a psychiatric hospital contains a good deal of dark lore. It is said that one sadistic doctor there began performing demented experiments on the patients and was convinced that 
lobotomies were a sound way to treat and cure whatever was ailing their tortured souls. The doctor allegedly conducted all manner of lobotomies on his unwilling patients, using tools such as hammers, nails, drills, and chisels, with very little of it having any sound theoretical basis, and none of it done with any sort of attention to safety and sanitation. The doctor also purportedly performed other mysterious experiments on patients within the hospital's bell tower, and it was not uncommon for patients to be kept awake at night by the screams of pain and despair emanating from the tower at night to add to those of the ghosts they had already heard. Local legend tells us that the doctor in charge of the insane asylum at Povelia eventually went mad himself. His sanity eroded away by the isolation and terrible freedom the island afforded his grotesque medical experiments, and by the ghosts that had already made themselves known. The mad doctor's life was ended either by jumping or by being pushed by someone or something from the bell tower. A nurse is reported to have witnessed the mad doctor's fall from the tower, and she said he survived it. But then she saw a dark mist cover his twisted and broken body. Some say that the corpse of the mad doctor was bricked up inside the bell tower, but no one knows for sure. It is known that the bell was removed before the tower was bricked up. But still, to this day, people on the coast of Venice hear the sound of the bell ringing from the tower of Povelia on dark, foggy, stormy nights, even though the island is supposed to be empty and uninhabited. The asylum at Povelia was finally closed for good in 1968, it was used for a brief time afterward as a nursing home for the elderly and the homeless, and then abandoned again. The Italian government has, at times, tried to deny that there ever was an asylum for the insane on Povelia. But many who have explored the island in recent years, have photographed a sign on one of its many abandoned buildings that reads, Reparto Psychiatria, Psychiatric Department. 
Povelia's growing reputation as one of the most haunted sites in Italy was solidified in the latter 20th century. One man who briefly owned the island only spent a few nights there before abandoning it without an explanation. A family then purchased Pavalia, intending to build a lavish summer retreat on the grounds. They only stayed on the island for a single night. After darkness fell, the daughter was brutally attacked by something unseen. It was said that her face had been nearly ripped off. A giant, bleeding wound that required 14 stitches to close it up. After this violent encounter with the spirits of Povelia, the family left and never returned. The Italian government erected steel girders around the old buildings of Pavalia in an effort to keep them from crumbling completely, but otherwise, the island has been abandoned and remains so to this day. There is a vineyard on the island, and once a year people are hired to harvest the grapes. I imagine they try and complete their task as quickly as possible, since the jungle-like part of the island where the vineyard is located is also believed to be the location of numerous mass graves of plague victims. In that area, Contemporary explorers of Povelia have discovered a stone marker almost completely covered by weeds and vines. The text on the stone reads, Ne Fodius, Vita Functi, Contagio, Vequiscunt, M-D-C-C-X-C-I-I-I which roughly translated means, Do not dig. Deceased, contagious bodies rest here. 1793 So, the Italian wine you're drinking tonight may contain grapes grown in soil enriched by the decomposed corpses of plague victims who perished in agony on Povelia. With such a bloody history of madness and torment, it is no wonder that many visitors to Povelia have reported the eerie feeling that they are not alone. They often see black shadow figures on the walls and down the hallways of the abandoned insane asylum, which still contains almost all of its original furniture and equipment, albeit in an inexorably advancing state of decay. Voices have been heard whispering in Italian, screaming, and weeping. 
More than one person has heard the booming, frightening voice of a man ordering them to leave now and do not return. All who have heard that voice have obeyed it as fast as they can. Other visitors have been scratched or even chased through the dark, rotting corridors by a force they can't see. Charles Miranda, a reporter for News Corps Australia, wrote an article about his own visit to Bavalia in 2014. It begins with a warning from a man named Giovanni, who took Charles to the island on his boat. Giovanni said, Watch out for Paolo. He is the bad one. He was a doctor there. He will cause you troubles. I know them all. Paolo, Marco, Giorgio. Giorgio is okay, friendly, Fantasma. My father would take me fishing there as a boy, and when I was older I stayed there myself for fifteen nights. When I came back, I told everyone what happened to me, the ghosts, what they did, Paolo's ghosts mostly pushing me, whoosh, whoosh, always pushing, and things moving. They call me nickname, you are crazy. Now everyone says the same thing about the island, and you want to go there, so you tell me. Who is the crazy one? No one has ever attempted to excavate the mass graves on Povelia, but other former lazarettos on Venetian islands have been dug up for scientific study. On the island of Vecchio, archaeologists unearthed a mass grave that contained the closely intertwined skeletons of approximately 1,500 plague victims. But there was an even more terrifying discovery. One of the bodies discovered in the grave was a vampire or a person who was thought to have been a vampire back in the 16th century when they were buried. It was what is known in that era as a Shroud Eater. We know this person was believed to be a vampire because their skeleton was discovered with a large brick shoved in between its teeth. Very often during epidemics of plague, mass graves would be reopened to add more corpses. Sometimes, people would discover a corpse that was actually bloated instead of shrinking with decay, with fresh blood seeping out of their mouth and an inexplicable hole in their death shroud that exposed their face. Bram Stoker echoed this image in his novel Dracula, written centuries afterward in 1897. Having Jonathan Harker discover Count Dracula in his coffin, saying, 
I saw something which filled my very soul with horror. There, in one of the great boxes, lay the Count, but looking as if his youth had been half restored, for the white skin seemed ruby red underneath. His eyes were open and stony. The mouth was redder than ever, for on the lips there were gouts of fresh blood which trickled from the corners of the mouth and ran over the chin and neck. It seemed as if the whole awful creature were simply gorged with blood. He lay like a filthy leech, exhausted with his repletion. However, back in the 16th century, a stake through the heart was not the conventional way to kill a vampire. The Italians on the island of Vecchio believed the true method was to thrust a large stone or brick into the vampire's mouth so it would be unable to feed on blood and then starve to death only to be discovered centuries later by archaeologists. It's very likely that this person was not actually a vampire. We now know, thanks to forensic science, that the bloating of a corpse is caused by the buildup of gases within a rotting body. The bloody fluid coming from the mouth is pushed up through the esophagus by decomposing organs, and the fabric of the death shroud around the mouth and face would have been consumed by the resulting bacteria from inside and on the corpse. There is a thin line separating science and the supernatural. There always has been. What was once believed to be paranormal we now know to be natural. What additional discoveries will happen in the years to come to illuminate our understanding of the mysterious world we live in? Perhaps one day, science will be able to define what a ghost really is. And then, one day, we might learn not to be so afraid of them. In 2014, the Italian government decided to auction off a 99-year lease on Povelia to try and raise revenue for the country, hoping that some enterprising person would buy the island and renovate the abandoned asylum into a luxury hotel. A businessman named Luigi Brugnaro had the highest bid, 513,000 euros. However, his bid was rejected by the government as being too low. Luigi Brugnara was furious and was determined to fight the rejection of his offer in court. But on June 15, 2015, he was elected mayor of Venice and renounced his bid for the island. As of today, 
Povelia remains abandoned, but perhaps, just perhaps, not entirely empty. Next time we meet, I'll take you to my hometown, Philadelphia, one of the most historic and most haunted cities in America, and tell you my favorite ghostly tales to finish up the season. If you enjoy the podcast, I encourage you to leave a rating and a review if the spirit moves you. You can also like Going Dark Theater on Facebook. If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to episode transcripts and other spooky things I'm working on, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Josh Hitchens. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month, and all contributions help me make spooky content for all of you. I am your host, Josh Hitchens, and you've been listening to Going Dark Theater. Until our next midnight together, I wish you all very pleasant dreams. And now, Going Dark.